You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. And so there's this other part of your brain, the medial lateral prefrontal cortex. It's a little bit further forward, and that's your creative flow. That's like your state of joy and flow. And for, for a lot of people, it like happens when they engage in that thing that they just love so much. You know, it's like, oh, I get a runner's high. So that's the part of your brain that we're trying to get to with freestyle. I want to be a producer with a hit show on Broadway. You're listening to the Producers Perspective Podcast with your host, Tony Award winner, Ken Davenport. Lights up on Washington Heights, up at the break of day, I wake up and I got this little... That is the Lin-Manuel Miranda musical In the Heights in that fantastic opening number. You know, with all the talk about Hamilton these days, it's easy to forget how good In the Heights actually is. Uh, Well, today we're going to talk to one of the guys who was around at the beginning of In the Heights and the whole Lin-Manuel Miranda phenomenon. Uh, And he's the guy responsible for ushering in this new genre of art on Broadway in freestyle rap. He's the creator of Freestyle Love Supreme, which is a fantastic show on Broadway right now. Go see it if you haven't. So tune into this episode. Very inspirational. A true entrepreneur. You are going to love it. And spoiler alert, I do a little rap, hip hop at the end. Maybe a little beatbox. You will hear it. This week's episode has been sponsored by AJV Media, who also has been the official Super Conference videographer since the very first Super Conference. We're super thankful for that. They're great partners of ours, and they are great videographers available for all of your video needs. They'll be back next month, so you'll be able to say hello to them in person at our 2019 Super Conference. For more information, visit them at ajvmedia.com, ajvmedia.com. And now, let's hear a little more In the Heights before we get to Anthony. Even follow the norm to Northern Manhattan and maintain. Get off at 181st and take the escalator. I hope you're writing this down. I'm going to test you later. I'm getting tested. Times are tough on this bodega. Two months ago, somebody bought Ortega's. Our neighbors started packing up and picking up. And ever since the rents went up, it's gotten that expensive. But we live with just enough. In the heights, when the lights Hey, it's Ken. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, and I hope it's pulling back the curtain on this business of Broadway. If you're looking to learn more about what makes this industry tick, go to my website, kendavenport.com, and sign up for my weekly newsletter. I'll send you one email a week, one article about what I'm seeing, trends, insights, marketing ideas on what's happening on Broadway right now. That's kendavenport.com. Hope to see you there and in your inbox. Hello, podcast fans. Welcome back to the Producer's Perspective podcast. My name is Ken Davenport. I've been looking forward to this episode for the past couple weeks. So two weeks ago, I saw one of the freshest and most unique and authentic shows I've seen on Broadway in a very long time. And the cool thing, it was a type of show that I never thought I'd ever see on Broadway for so many reasons, uh, which I will get into. That show was, of course, do you know it? Freestyle Love Supreme. Bring, 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 bring. <laughs> today we have the conceiver and one of the stars of that show here today. Please welcome to the podcast, Mr. Anthony Two Touch Beniziali. Have I been? Eh? Nice. Uh, welcome. Thank you. So I'm, I'm thrilled to have you here. Uh, for those of you who don't know Anthony, he's a performer, producer, instructor, speaker on the TED stage. 
He helped relaunch the Electric Company on children's television. Is that true? Yep. Like, thank you for bringing that back. Sure. Uh, and he helped create this very unique art form and blend of rap and theater, which with his buds Tommy Kale and Lin-Manuel Miranda, who you've probably never heard of. Never heard um, Helped became the basis of In the Heights and, of course, uh, Hamilton. He's a true entrepreneur. I am thrilled that he's here. So let's start back in the early days of Two Touch. So you're a little kid. Did you, like, when people said, what do you want to do when you grow up? You're like, oh, I'm going to be a freestyle rapper. Professional soccer player. Really? That's what it was? Oh, yeah. Where did you grow up? Outside of Philly. Outside of Philly. Born in Philly and then moved outside of it. And all my brothers are amazing soccer players. My, my brother Joe was a professional soccer player. Uh, played for the team here in New Jersey, New York, before they became the Red Bulls. They were the Metro Stars. Uh, played in college, was top college athlete, and then that's something I very much wanted to do. So which came first, music or theater for you? Uh, music, so yeah. So what was the first introduction to music then as a kid? My dad played in a band for a super long time. He had a wedding band, so he'd gig out. That was one of his three jobs. He also worked for Ford Philco. <clears throat> and he was a coach. So he was like this, you know, mad scientist of a human being. And he had band practices at our house. So the Drakes, they were called. They'd all come over. Uh, one, one gentleman was blind in the group who played the sax. Super cool. Uh, and I used to just like sit. Uh, and sometimes there was no front to my dad's bass drum. So sometimes I would actually sit inside of the drum. Um, and I just loved that. I loved the, the bass. I loved the, like, the beat of the songs. Makes sense. Yeah. So what did you play an instrument first? Did you... Yeah, <clears throat> and then I started playing the trombone in fifth grade because it was the hardest instrument to carry. So I was really excited about um, being bigger than I was. I mean, I had four older brothers, and I'm the youngest. So being big was a big deal and the trombone was like the same size as I was when I first started playing it and then I just got really into it and I, I also just got really into hip-hop at a very early age uh, so tell me how that happens yeah an Italian kid from Philadelphia right so I had a best friend named Abe Foreman Greenwald he's still named Abe Foreman Greenwald and he and I used to just push push each other in terms of like musical tastes uh, and he heard uh, this this album by Young MC called Stone Cold Ryman. And I heard it at his house and I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. What is this? He was like, it's rap, you know? And I'd heard LL Cool J before that. I was kind of obsessed with Around the Way Girl uh, when it first came out. And I kind of heard it on the radio. I was like, this doesn't sound like anything else I've heard. And I, I became kind of obsessed with that song. And then Abe got that album and I was like, I have to have this album. And so, this is probably like fourth or fifth grade. What year was that? About? 1989. And, and then I, I believe, <clears throat> and then I listened to it nonstop. I wanted to know every single word on every single song. And I still remember probably 90% of that album to this day. And then that was it. The sort of neural network got created in my mind for the algorithm of rap and like the mathematical beauty of, of how it adds up. And that's how I used to go to sleep. I would like listen to rap album after rap album and memorize every song on every album I could get my hands on. Tribe Called Quest probably being the first like I wanted everything they had. And then De La Soul. Yeah, so it was just that there was just something I think that started getting built inside of my brain upon absorbing all that music. 
Some people listen to Simon Garfunkel going to sleep. You listen to hip hop to try I'm to get to sleep. Going at night. to Scott. Yeah. So this is a bigger question, but what for you, but also for people in general, what do you think it is about rap that gets people I listen, in my lifetime, and it's very rare, I think a new musical style is born. And I'm we're close to the same age, I think, so I grew up on, you know, DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince a little bit. That was the first one. Ooh, summer, summer, summer time. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that uh, first album's amazing. And Beastie lot, Boys. Yeah, a lot of people don't know this, but I was a breakdancer when I was a kid, too. So Beat Street Ooh. and Breakin' and all that stuff. Oh, Breakin' 2, Electric Boogaloo. Of course. Oh, yeah. I wanted to do a musical version of that at oh. one point. Oh, please. Uh, we'll talk about that after. Yeah. Uh, but so this new musical style is really created, or, or this music musical genre. What is it that you think appeals to so many different people? Again, Italian from uh, Philly, this white kid for, in a prep school in Massachusetts. Yeah. How does it cross? Well, I think hip hop is the music of the disenfranchised, right? So uh, most great things that have been created in the United States are created by black people, and in the Bronx. Uh, is where this rap started. Probably early 70s, DJ Cool Herc uh, having these parties and Coke LaRoque, you know, being sort of the first MC in some ways. But it very much sort of starting in the, in the epicenter of where I think most of New York City was terrified of the Bronx, right? This is Robert Moses. This is after redlining happening, the Cross Bronx Expressway comes through, cuts the neighborhood in half. People are literally living in these bombed-out-looking buildings. And the message then comes out, which is Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. This is like 1982. And that song really captures this, like, it's called The Message, right? So it really captures this essence of, hey, let me tell you about my world and why you should care. And I think all of us feel that in some way. All of us, at some point in our lives, are misunderstood, or feel left out. And so, especially the youth, and I think that's why probably hip-hop, and, and it keeps you know, reinventing itself every number of years, because it's, it's mostly in, in some ways about disenfranchisement. So when you become super successful as a hip-hop artist, how does that alter your approach, or, or what it is this art form is, is actually kind of like pushing? So, yeah, that's, that's my take on it. And why do you think it also flashing forward now to see its success in theater? Why do you think it's transitioned and been such a great new musical style for, for the Broadway stage? I think Broadway is starting to really broaden its horizons as well, right? The, the great white way is getting a little more colorful. Uh, and so that was the impetus behind In the Heights. So, you know, when Lynn was first starting to work on that, I, I was running the theater at the Drama Bookshop. Um, and Tommy and I had started this small production company because we didn't know any better. Uh, why wouldn't you tell us how hard it was, Ken? Uh, so you know, it's funny. I will just say this. Those words that you just spoke right now, we didn't know any better, I didn't know what I was doing, are the most commonly uttered words on this podcast mm. by people successful like yourself. Yeah. It seems like the, the key to success at the beginning is not knowing what the fuck you're doing. Absolutely. You know, when you see the ceiling, you bump up against it. When you don't, you just keep building. You just keep going higher and higher. Uh, and I, you know, I think in essence, those mistakes that you make that you didn't know you were making are such a blessing. They're so huge, right? And then when you know afterward, you're like, oh wow, maybe I would have made a couple of 
different choices for sure. It, it might have gone a little bit faster. I mean, you know, it took seven, eight years to get in the Heights to where it was. But you learn so much, right? Like, there's no other way than to just do it. And, and this is something I, I often will say to friends and, and people who come and ask for advice. I'm like, yeah, just say you're going to put it up and put it up. <laughs> right? So, yeah, so I think hip-hop uh, coming to Broadway and, and how it's being used in storytelling now, not, not just as a, hey, this is an art form, let's stage the art form, but it's implicit in the way it's being uh, voiced. Rather, the characters are really, they have something about them that is disenfranchised. I mean... And that's why Lynn reacted, I think, to Hamilton, to that story that Ron Chernow wrote, because he was like, this is Tupac. Like, Alexander Hamilton is Tupac. And the striking similarities, like, they are ubiquitous. I mean, they are, they are like, riddled. And he was like, I got to write this from that perspective. And so that's what Lynn knows as well. You know, I mean, that's, that's his language. You know, a lot of us gr- have grown up with, with the language of hip-hop and... I think more and more people feel the same way. So let's go back to you and your journey. So you fall in love with rap, you go to sleep with rap at night. When do you say, oh, this is what I'm going to do? <laughs> and Never. what was the reaction? <laughs> like, that's what I was like, mom, dad, yeah. I'm going to be a rapper. Well, I think the big turning point for me was I was kicked off the soccer team my sophomore year at Wesleyan. And I got cut from the team. I got into a fight with the assistant coach, and I was devastated because, like I said, soccer was a, a big part of my life, and, and I wanted to interact with the world through the lens of soccer. And um, I got kicked off, and I called my dad later that day, and I was, like, crying my eyes. I was like, <laughs> I got kicked off the soccer team. It's been a part of my life for since I was three, right? So I was like, this is devastating. And he was like, hey, pick yourself up. It's going to be okay. You can, you can play in lots of different ways. And if you wanted to transfer, we can look into it. But I loved, I went to Wesleyan. I mean, my sc- I loved my school. And the next day, there were auditions for an improv troupe on campus called Gag Reflex. And I'd seen them all throughout my frosh year. And I was like, these are the funniest humans I have ever seen. And so I auditioned just on a whim because I was like, that's great. I I don't know if I have the skill set, but I'd like to find out. Did you acted before? I mean, I dabbled in acting before. Uh, I definitely was in like high school plays. Uh, my brother Michael was is an amazing actor, and I I had so many older brothers. I was always in shadows in some way, you know. And I was trying to find my own light. Um, and I think doing improv felt different enough from from like regular theater and 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 film and and television acting and I was like let me try this and uh, and I auditioned and I got in and what was your audition do you remember well I mean in improv it's just these like games that you would play Uh, there was one that was music based because they do this thing and this is the thing that I think started the that freestyle engine up for me which is there was a song or a game called the song game and that's where you're just in a scene with another person you and I in a scene you're on Broadway and in an office talking about theater. Um, and at some point there's a moderator and they say, freeze. And then they get a genre of music from the audience. And sometimes there's a keyboard player or a guitarist or not, just a cappella that you have to kind of support the other person. And they get a genre and it's like, great, country and western. And now you have to continue the scene 
Well, I'm here on Broadway, just singing a song. My car broke down and I can't get along. You know, and you just have to hit your tropes of, of whatever that genre is and continue the scene. Um, and I loved that. I, there was something about the way I think the neural networking in my brain had been built to that point that was particularly suited to it. And that was one of the games I did. I also just did a, a scene, World's Worst, it's called, where you, like, are the epitome of the worst version of that. And I they gave me, I was a used car salesman, so I was the world's worst used car salesman. And I was doing a scene with my dear friend Ashley Canese in the audition. And I remember specifically that sort of just being like, oh, I know how to play in this way, right? It's this whole yes end mentality of like, cool, we just jumped over this big river and like, it's just a carpet, but yes, there's a river there, right? Uh, and I just took to it. I loved it so much. I also loved that everyone in the group had a voice it wasn't like oh the seniors rule and like you just have to follow what they say and because I I'd been in a big Italian household right seniority is the it like that's it the oldest brother and then everything trickles down and I'm the fifth right so (laughs) I barely ate at night um and so being in that group to see that everyone's voice mattered and that everyone had input as to how this thing kind of got built that's still in my DNA that's still in freestyle up supreme to this day yeah, that's what struck me so much about the show, which I loved, is I'm a huge improv fan. I've followed it for a long time. And I was like, oh, this is structured in the same way as an improv show. It's just a different language. And obviously what you're doing is even so much more challenging because you are making up raps and rhymes and all that on the spot. So when did that start? When did the freestyle thing start for you? So <clears throat> once I started doing song game, this is like the mid and late 90s, and at Wesleyan, like, raps, the, like, everyone's listening to the rap. Like, the Fugees, the score came out, and Lauren Hill's Miseducation of Lauren Hill. And, like, that's all you hear at every house party. So when we're doing the show, when we'd say freeze, we would always get rap as a genre. And it would sometimes be specific, you know, it'd be like... East Coast battle rap, or it would be like, you know, gangster rap, or whatever it was and so you would have to just do the scene in in that genre and I just was like oh this is so fun I want to create a a community where we can just support each other doing this thing and so I used to do cypher sessions at any house party I would go to and I also would bring a cardboard box because I was still a b-boy like I still did break dancing at the time so I'd have a cardboard box at any house party and be like who wants to who wants to break dance and then we'd get into these like you know rap circles and just freestyle with each other and out of that came a show that I did with Tommy Kale so at the time um, Tommy was not involved in theater at all I mean he had done a little bit in high school but he got to college he was an American history major I, I was also an American history major and a film major at the time and I said, I need your help. I'm going to be putting up a show, and I think you'd be really perfect to, to like, you know, co-direct it with me. It was, <laughs> this is like the most liberal arts story of all time. It's a show by Heiner Muller called Hamlet Machine. Very esoteric, East German playwright. He does something that he calls the shrunken head of Hamlet to really address what's going on in East Germany at the time, right before reunification. Uh, and... <laughs> right so cliche and so um and so I wanted to do something like that about Wesleyan we were called diversity university at the time and there weren't many conversations happening across race across identity and so we cast two black Ophelias 
uh, Krishanda Lee and Nafisa Monroe, and we cast two white Hamlets, Neil Stewart and John Buffalo Mailer. And we just started playing. And I said, let's use the text for now. It was like 20 pages of text. It's not anything huge. And I said, cool, let's look at it and throw it away and let's start improvising what we think might be the shrunken head Hamlet version of Wesleyan. And that's what we did. And before every show, we, we got together and we started ciphering. So anytime the audience was coming into the theater, they'd see us around the set freestyle rapping as they kind of got to their seats. That's how we like warmed up. But we wanted the audience to kind of be involved in that process. And then boom, we would do the show. And there were lots of improv moments throughout the show. Uh, and I think that's when Tommy was like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do with my life. Uh, and then started directing thereafter. Um, and, you know, I'm super lucky to have a, some small part in that uh, because he's just a brilliant, amazing human being. Um, and then once I graduated and then Tommy graduated, we started Backhouse Productions and we started working on In the Heights pretty soon thereafter. It was our first musical that we'd ever worked on. And I was a, a TA in the film class and I'd met this kid named Lin-Manuel Miranda and everyone was like, oh, you have to freestyle with this kid. He's like super good at it. And this other woman named Tavi, like you got to like get them together. So during breaks from In the Heights, I would go in and be like, Lin, let's, let's freestyle rap. Like let's have some fun, let's blow off some steam. You can use this to help you write your stuff. Um, and so we started a practice of freestyling together and Pretty soon I was convinced him that this should be something we could do in front of other people. And they created a loose format that then maybe like two months of doing that, Tommy came to it. I was like, Tommy, come to this. I really need your help on it. So he came and he saw it and he was like, I've got some ideas. Um, and then probably about a month or two later, like Free Cell of Supreme really started to congeal. Uh, and that was when we were doing shows regularly at The Pit. And then we got an offer to do a run at Ars Nova in 2004. So that's sort of the like the seed and then the small sprout that became Freestyle of Supreme. So you brought up the diversity question, and I want to ask you if you, again, as this Italian kid from Philly, ever bumped up to it from an external perspective of someone saying, like, what the hell are you doing rapping? And then two, if you ever bumped up at it personally, if you're like, wait a minute, I, I shouldn't be doing this. Talk to me a little bit about both of those forces. Yeah, so, you know, I think once I started doing it, it was just a pure expression of joy. You know, it was just this thing that I was really good at. And I'm not quite sure how or why. I think I know some of the ingredients. But when people saw me do it, they reacted, you know, in such a way they were like, wow, this is something you're really good at. You should continue doing it. Um, and the reason why I have got into theater and deeper into theater was that I'm very interested in exploring what it means to have different perspectives on stage and having especially a black voice um, be a part of the American theater. That's just like uh, my senior year, we had to do all these different writing projects and proposals, and, and I proposed the idea of doing um, Written on the Wind in, at the Atlanta Rep uh, with an interracial cast and just exploring what it meant to, you know, have black people in love with white people and white people in love with black people and, and what that means. And I was doing improv at a time when it was predominantly white dudes, you know. And so I wanted to create a show that had the language of hip-hop and sort of opened the door in a lot of ways 
to invite other voices that it was maybe a little bit more ubiquitous for. Um, and that's where it sort of started and continues for me. The reason why I love doing Freestyle of Supreme is you get a really good POV of very different people up on that stage. And that's what I think theater is meant to do, uh, creating community in that way and, and learning and hearing about other po- people's perspectives. One of the, and you talk about being a pure, your pure expression of joy, but that's what I got from the show itself. Mm. And one of the things that was so unique to me was I talked about how it, it follows a very specific improv traditional structure, if mm-hmm. you will. In the same way that Hamilton follows a very traditional musical structure, but yeah. in a very unique perspective. Yeah. But you did something different that most improv shows don't do, which is there's this moment in the show where you. Uh, you give this great introduction and then you say and everything you're about to hear is real yeah and there is a moment which is not a funny quote unquote not intended to be humorous number in the show and I'd say 99.9% of every single improv show that I've ever seen I've seen a bunch of them all try to be funny straight through yeah and you don't there's a very heartfelt and very authentic moment tell me just a little bit about why and yeah. It, it just was my favorite moment of the entire evening. When you came, what was the, do you remember? The Grace. S- oh, Grace. Oh, and Chris Jackson. Just, that was like a sermon, right? Like it, I saw David. Yes. Oh, right, David. Oh, David ended that one. Wayne Brady Wayne was in the Brady's middle. Wayne Brady's sermon yes. that evening. Yes, sorry. That was, was Wayne who did the one that was like, yes. Mind-blowing to yeah. me yeah. about his experience with his best friend who is his ex-wife yeah and how he went into that world that yeah story was just and the grace that he showed her yeah. right yeah and then Utkarsh was first that night Anissa new yeah. member right yes new member yeah oh Anissa okay so grace yes okay so you were there uh when Wayne was in it yeah so we do this number called true and for me, it, it derived out of this exercise that I learned from a, a troupe at Emerson. So we used to do, the troupe I got into at Wesleyan was called Gag Reflex. And so Gag Reflex uh, used to tour, and we did a lot of shows at other colleges. And one that we would go to often was um, Emerson up in Boston. And there was a troupe there called This Is Pathetic. And there were three people there that blew my mind at improv. Evan Blackford, Ann Tebow, and Chris Libby. And those three people, they did an exercise throughout their show at like three different intervals. Let's call it like somewhere in the beginning, somewhere in the middle, and somewhere in the end, where each of them stood out there and did something called one minute of truth, where the audience could ask them anything and they would answer it truthfully. And it was so bold. It was so brave. I remember just sort of being there being like, oh, this is the power of improv because we're not just saying it's comedy improv. Like it doesn't, it doesn't have to just be one thing. It can be so many things. And I remember seeing that and just being struck at how much the audience appreciated that sense of humanity and listening that, they, that, that the person on stage would listen to them and respond to the question that they asked to the best of their ability um, and how much they, the audience appreciated that. So when I was creating Freestyle of Supreme, we have, we have someone in the group named Arthur Lewis, Arthur the Genius, as we call him. And he has an incredible instrument. His voice is something that we kind of reveal during True, because before that, he's just playing the piano. 
and then he steps forward and he sings and it's one of those oh yeah that when he opens his mouth first of all he doesn't look like someone like that's going to have that type of voice so you've got that effect for me for sure yeah so it slightly takes you aback and we've sort of then set up this this moment as oh you're about to see us telling you the truth and I love that Freestyle Love Supreme, the show, is a container for not only hysterical laughter, but a depth of feeling as well. And because we're up there making stuff on the spot, we're going to, it's really hard to obfuscate. It's really hard to lie under that moment. And so things come out that I don't think you're planning on or quite ready necessarily to, to reveal. Um, but the moment kind of calls for it. And everyone up on that stage, because we have been supporting one another so fiercely throughout the show up until that moment, they're able to really go for it. And yeah, the night you saw it, Wayne talked with his heart on his sleeve about messing up in in his marriage. And this person saying, okay, I need to leave you, but I will still be your best friend. and that our show can contain that, I think, is a testament to how much we love and trust each other through the process. The fact that he could, look, that would be hard to just say on a stage, never mind say it in rhythm and rhyme. Yeah. Uh, so speaking of that challenge, and you talked about you and Lynn being like, oh, let's just practice. What is practice? Yes. <laughs> I mean, is it like, okay, we're going to memorize every single word that rhymes with podcast. We're going to, like, how, yeah. what do you do? There's got to be, just like anything else, it looks easy. It looks like you're just making shit up, but there's got to be some kind of process here. Yeah, I mean, look, at, at this point, I've done over 2,000 shows with Freestyle of Supreme. I was not good when we first started. Like, our first shows at the pit, they were a mess. They, they were all over the place. We, uh, at some point, I think someone said, isn't it Freestyle Love Odyssey? Or like, you know, it was just like this crazy thing that just spooled out of control. Um, so having that structure of, you know, for us, it's, it's very much like jazz. The instrument that we're using is our voice and, and the English language. So that's kind of the major difference. But we want to still be able to, to understand all the different, like, let's call it interpolations of the chord structures that would lead to our harmonious um, creation. So for us, that means we practice harder than we play. So we'll, we'll do a normal show kind of structure. We'll, we'll work each song, and we'll usually do it like three or four times. And then we'll say, cool, let's do it again. But now this time you have to do it where we do the non-rhyme version of it which is unbelievably hard. So you have to set up a a very obvious rhyme for the next person, but they have to subvert the rhyme with a synonymous word. For example, what is this, a pawn piece right here on your table? This is a queen. A queen, oh, a queen, okay, so it's a small, small piece. Okay, queen, great. You do improv and you call scene, but not if you're king or not if you're, so the other person knows that the word they should rhyme is queen. But now they have to subvert it with something synonymous. So they might say, ruler of the kingdom, right? Like, whatever they can do, yeah. I'm lost already. Yeah, exactly. So, right, so if you do improv, then you'd call scene. But not if you are king or ruler of the kingdom. Thanks for your help. All right, now I'll put it on my... And then the word would be shelf, but the other person would then subvert that and say, 
upper closet, you know, and you keep going, you keep passing it in twos and it's impossible. It breaks your brain because your natural instinct is to solve it. But now you're not only solving it, you're going to the next step. And then when you take that away, it becomes much easier. And did you make up all these exercises and things? Yeah, I did. I mean, that is mind blowing. Like what a workout. Yeah. You are now teaching this stuff, this very unique proprietary. Look, we're giving all these exercises away. So there is, So tell us about the Freestyle of Supreme Academy. Tell us about this and yeah. how I can sign up and embarrass myself. Please do. <laughs> I mean, um, of course I went home trying to do this. I'm sure like everybody does this. I love it. If yes. you go to a baseball game, you cannot like leave the baseball game trying to hit a home run. But if you go to see Freestyle of Supreme, I guarantee you'll walk to the subway going like, can I walk to the subway? What the fuck rhymes with subway? Yes. <laughs> you will do that. Yes. Tell, tell us how you, uh, how uh, you teach this and how people can learn it. Well, I love that so very much. And yeah, and the Freestyle of Supreme Academy, I'm so incredibly proud of. Um, it's this community where we are helping foster creative and diverse voices. That's our mission. And the way we're doing it is we have a very... Uh, inclusive format that says everyone in this room has a lot of wisdom, has a lot of skill, and we are just facilitators trying to tap into the wisdom of the room. That's what our show is as well, right? Like, yes, we might be up there crafting some pretty amazing words, but we couldn't do it without the wisdom of the room. Like, the entirety matters so much. And so we follow a couple of really important, um, let's call them uh, sources of inspiration. One is Paulo Freire's Pedagogy of the Oppressed. So this is a, a really important book in the history of learning. Um, it's a pedagogical approach to um, something called communal learning. So it's about learning from each other. It's not de deposit style learning, which is most Western style of teaching. So for us, it's how the group informs each other and then where there's facilitators then using something else called uh, the Facilitator's Guide to Participatory Decision-Making, which is based out of something called CBPR, Community-Based Participatory Research. Now, these are some pretty esoteric, um, deep-rooted in making change in community-type learnings and pedagogy. Uh, and for us, we think that people are, are really thirsty for learning new ways of learning. Um, it's something called neuroplasticity, and, and we're also slightly obsessed with, with neuroscience and what's happening in your brain. So mostly what we're trying to do is create an environment where people feel super supported, not only by the facilitators, but by the room as well, so that they can take these risks. And when you do that, you start making these implicit agreements that say, I'm going to go further and further. So it's exposure therapy in a nutshell, and we do it with careful small steps and we've been design thinking the process for quite a while my partner works at IDEO so I've done a ton of projects with design thinking so we took two years to develop the first class and we did uh, extreme user interviews we did people who were you know terrified of speaking in public we did people who were spoken word poets um, and have their own YouTube channels and then sort of found what might fall in the middle there for a wider audience in terms of what it is they're looking for there's a huge confidence gap out there. There's just this thing that says, I'm not a creative or I don't want to take a risk. I don't want to look foolish in front of others. So we're creating the play space for people to, to look foolish and feel okay doing that. 
And when I think people start embracing that, they're going to be able to fail and learn from that failure. And that's all freestyling is. I failed for so many years at freestyling. And I still fail inside of the show. There's plenty of moments in there that I thumper or don't completely meet what I think maybe that expectation I wanted to meet was. Um, and it, ultimately, that's not what's important. What's yeah, important is that I tried. I want to get back to the academy, but tell me about that. Like when, I mean, you're going a hundred miles an hour, if you will. They can't all be perfect rhymes. They can't all be that. Yeah. But you have to keep going. Yeah. Well, if you're sitting in your judging brain, which is the part of your brain called the dorsal lateral prefrontal cortex, so that part of your brain, which is a little bit higher and and mostly around like cognitive, um, effortful planning, like it's like oh, I really have to like muscle this thing. I have to have everything in the perfect place in order to succeed. A lot of us have a very loud version of that. And so there's this other part of your brain, the medial lateral prefrontal cortex. It's a little bit further forward. It's on the sides just a little bit more. And that's your creative flow. That's like your state of joy and flow. And for, for a lot of people, it like happens when they engage in that thing that they just love so much. You know, it's like, oh, I get a runner's high. Or, oh, when I'm in yoga, I don't even realize an hour and a half passed. I just, like, did it. So that's the part of your brain that we're trying to get to with freestyle. And we've proven inside of these fMRI machines with a, a doctor out of UCSF named Charles Lim that that's, in fact, what's happening. So um, when you engage in this sort of playful, like, risk and you start going towards that, you start entering this medial lateral prefrontal cortex and you start muting the dorsal lateral prefrontal cortex, which is amazing. Like, think about that, right? Like that critic voice that we always have following us around that's saying, you're not good enough. Usually it's our parents' voice in some small way. No one's going to love you. Um, that voice gets turned off when you do this. So that judging brain isn't a part of the process when we're on stage for Freestyle of Supreme. It just gets muted because we're like, I have to keep going forward in my flow. Another great reason why people should study and learn this stuff to get, get rid of that critic inside us and the critics also at newspapers. But uh, we could get rid of those too. But what I love about this learning process is the collaboration involved of having it so great for corporations or creative teams or wherever it is, just learning how to work with each other and depending on each other to carry forward whatever story you're telling. Hugely. So <clears throat> I moved to San Francisco a number of years ago, and it, it was a big uprooting. Like I was doing lots of projects here in New York, and In the Heights was one of them, and The Electric Company was another, and all these different plays, and Bo Willimon and Ann Nelson, working with a ton of talented playwrights. But my partner decided to get a PhD out at UC Berkeley, and I was not going to not live with her. So I said, okay, let's go. And while I was out there, I started a company called Speechless and we go into major corporations and we help them with improv thinking is sort of what we've kind of coined the expression of, of your state of flow when you're collaborating with others. People do it all the time. It's just that they're not, you know, necessarily thinking about it in that way. So when we start doing these workshops with people, what ultimately we're getting at is how do you remain open and collaborative and communicating to the like to be the best version of yourself. And that's, I think, what you're seeing on stage at Freestyle of Supreme is like the best version of each one of these people. And that's also what Freestyle of Supreme Academy is trying to do as well. And we've, we've been around for about a year now. We, we have like about 100 alumni. 
and it is just so magical. Like it's it's a bit touching as well to hear how many people's lives have changed dramatically after eight weeks of this class. And one of those people is Anissa Folds. I mean, she was in our class as of March 2019. She went through eight weeks of class and we were like, we've got some gigs coming up. Would you mind sitting in and like trying this thing out? And then we had an audition and now she's on Broadway. Amazing. Yeah. How does it feel for you to be on Broadway? I mean, did you ever think you would be here when you were at the drama bookshop? No. Also, this was not a dream of mine. I was not audacious enough to think that improv could go to Broadway. That's just not something, what's the template for that? I mean, Nichols and May, 1961 to 62, you know, like they did about 165 shows. Um, that's it. That's it. I mean, Full Moon, which made a huge impression on me, has some improv elements in it. Um, and W had some improv in elements in it, but there aren't any full, there are very few fully improvised shows on Broadway. So why would I imagine that this, I couldn't see what the earth looked like from outer space. You know, it's just like that 1969 photograph coming back of, oh, we're all on one planet. We all affect each other. Um, I was, I did not think that improv could be on Broadway. So I never imagined it. And then when Tommy called me in, in, I want to say July of this year and said, where are you? And I was like, I'm on Howard Street and 3rd in San Francisco. Are you here? And he was like, nope, I just want you to remember where you are when I told you that Freestyle is going to be going to Broadway. And I was like, I, I like stopped dead in my tracks. I was like, what did you, I think I have a bad connection. It sounded like you said we're going to Broadway. He was like, yeah, we're going to go to Broadway. Uh, and I think we're going to be at the Booth Theater. And um, we're going to be doing improv on Broadway. And I was flabbergasted, for sure. What's next? You know, I think for, free, for, for myself or for freestyle or... For both. So I think for freestyle, the next thing is how do we continue to spread the love? Like, how do we either go on tour in some way or create these sit-down elements where we can do the academy in a community and then bring people from that community onto the stage? That is super important to me. And, and because I also think that, that hip-hop is so unique to each location in which it comes from. I mean, Atlanta sound, I mean, that Dirty South sound is like totally different than the New York and the Northeast sound. And the Chicago sound is completely different. Seattle's got its own scene. L.A. I mean, like all these places, they have, they kind of have, I would love to see what, what version of Freestyle of Supreme would be in those areas using local talent, or at least some of us and local talent as well. So yeah, I think that's, that would be pie in the sky hope, right? That's, yeah. Who knows? And then for me personally, Freestyle of Supreme Academy, continuing to build that. And then Speechless, um, we're getting into the realm of, of mental fitness is what we're going to be calling it. We're, we're beta testing a studio in San Francisco right now. So that's normally where I live, the Bay Area. I'm just out here for the run. And that studio is, is having some open classes to the public. But we also want to scale it to whomever would like to sit in on it with maybe a piece of hardware or maybe just their phone or, or their laptop where they get to play. They do something called restorative play or they do something to innovative play, whatever it is that they're kind of looking to, to work on with their, that state of flow. We've 
now been around for seven years and we've trained over 60,000 people in the, just in the corporate community. And so we're taking all of those learnings and, and building a, a public offering in these studios. So we're hoping to open more studios across the United States in the next two years. All right, my last question, which is my genie question. Ooh. I want you to imagine the genie from Aladdin comes to visit. And he says, look, you're such a positive guy. You are spreading the love, literally. That's how I envision the show and the joy, the expression of joy. But there's got to be some things that drive you nuts about hmm. this process. So what, what's been the most frustrating thing for you of working on Broadway or the New York theater scene in general that would make you rap angry? Uh, that you would ask the genie to wish away in an instant. Whew. The one thing, one thing that just drives you the most nuts and makes you flip off the table. And about the process of getting to Broadway? Anything that... about the New York Broadway theater scene. The mm. idea being here is if we throw it out in the world, maybe someone out there has an idea or we can come up with an idea mm. to crush it. Yeah. Uh, I would love to see more improv on Broadway. I mean, I think... You know, it's seen as such a, a risky endeavor in some ways, or, or how do you commercialize at that at that expense point um, what improv is? But I, I think there's improv out there that is worthy of being on Broadway for sure. So that's one. Well, that's a good one, and I will tell you, it's certainly the case. As I wrote to someone very recently, you know, the the chal- I've looked at improv and doing other improv off Broadway, on Broadway, and it's always who's going to pay one hundred and fifty dollars a ticket for improv when they can pay eight dollars and a two drink minimum at the pit or wherever, right? Which is fantastic, by the way. But I will tell you right now, your show is worth one hundred and fifty dollars a ticket plus. So those of you out there, go check it out. It's an extraordinary experience. Uh, you'll have a blast. Where can they learn about Freestyle Love Academy? Yeah, our, our website, freestylelovesupreme.com, and then there's a, a tab at the top that says Academy, or you can just type in freestylelovesupreme.com slash Academy. Great. Go check it out. I would not be a very good podcast host if <laughs> I did not say, will you freestyle for us? Oh, my gosh. Way out. Only if you provide a beat. So here's oh, how you do that. Okay. Oh, wait, we're getting a little Academy lesson right now. Yeah, it's for true. It. Try it. All right, so there are two words you need. First word is boots. Boots. Great. And that was awesome. Boots. Yeah, because it's like a plosive, right? So when Shakespeare writes soliloquies and someone's angry, it's B's and P's, right? So this is a boots. Boots. Great. And then the next word is cuts. Cuts. Yeah, like, oh, it cuts my finger. Oh, cuts. Great. Yes. And perfect because it's a, like, imagine your mouth is like a cave. And then there's the stalactite in the middle of the cave. And that's where the, it's a soft palate. Yes. Cuts. Cuts. Great. So now you're going to go boots and cuts and Boots and cuts and boots and cuts. Uh huh. Yeah. Cuts. Don't want to cut this cuts. interview short because I'm just chilling up here with Ken Davenport. Now we in the top of 1501 and there's not rain because it's going to bring some sun to the sky and to the rain that we done. All right. So, Ken, thank you very much for having me as your guest. Cuts. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks to all of you for putting up with my boots and cuts. We will see you next time. Hey, thanks for tuning into this week's podcast and for bearing with me as I tried to beatbox. Challenging for you, I'm sure. Not as challenging it was for me. Don't forget about the Super Conference coming up November 16th and 17th, just a few weeks away. Joe Iconis, Heidi Schreck delivering keynotes. We also have Bart Scher, Rick Miramontes, Mara Isaacs, Chris Jones, a critic. We have a critic coming to tell you how to get a good review. 
all the secrets revealed at the Super Conference. Go to tppsuperconference.com, get your ticket. Uh, if you are excited about this new podcast season, do me a favor, review us on Apple Podcasts. What this does, it's not about me, it helps other theater makers like you find us and really helps promote the artists that give up their time to have these conversations with me, which is really all for you. Uh, if you want to keep up with Anthony and Freestyle Love Supreme, now playing at the Booth Theater on Broadway, follow at Freestyle Love Supreme. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram too, at Ken Davenport B-Way, short for Broadway, at Ken Davenport B-Way. And now, this week's hashtag songwriter of the week. Today, we'll be hearing the song Runnin' from the new musical Bow, performed by Matt Roden and written by Douglas Lyons and Ethan Pakchar. If you like what you hear, you can find more on their website, bowthemusical.com. That's B-E-A-U, French. BowTheMusical.com. We will see you next week with a brand new Producers Perspective podcast. Thanks again for tuning in and for supporting live theater wherever you are. Running till I felt free. But down the road I realized I was alone. The boy I tried to abandon was my only hope. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.